Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of Welcome love. to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Dot com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. Jeff Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Good, good. Uh, I know most of my listeners will know who you are, but uh, just to maybe share a little bit uh, of background, uh, Jeff Lindsay uh, is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And also, Jeff, why don't you uh, start us off? by maybe giving us a brief bio of yourself and telling us a little bit about the site that you have uh, up on the Internet that uh, that would help members in defending their faith and being more aware of how to reconcile difficult issues. Sure. My name's Jeff Lindsay. I live in Shanghai, China. I've been there for three years now. Uh, before that, I was living in Wisconsin for about the past uh, 20 or so years. Um, originally from the West, born in Utah, grew up in Utah, Idaho, Oregon, and have uh, four boys. I went to BYU in chemical engineering, have a PhD in chemical engineering uh, from BYU, and heavily involved in intellectual property, now working uh, to guide the intellectual property of a large Asian company. Very fascinating experience in Shanghai. Um, served a mission in, in uh, Switzerland, German-speaking Switzerland, way back when, and had a great experience there. It was after my my mission that I got involved in the whole field of um, LDS apologetics or some of the intellectual aspects of of being a Latter-day Saint. My interest in that, I think, was kindled when I accidentally found myself as a newlywed in the uh, Provo Ninth Ward at BYU, which was the same ward that Hugh Nibley attended, and got to meet him. In fact, I was asked to help relieve his uh, gospel doctrine teaching duties by splitting things up, sort of being a team teacher or alternating weeks with him. And that led to some interaction and becoming really fascinated with what he was doing. And uh, that led to just a lot of you know, reading, a lot of interest over the years. 
and ultimately led to me um, uh, putting some of my thoughts and experiences down into web pages in the uh, early 90s that um, led to what I'm doing today. So I've got a few things out there on the web now and trying to be part of this uh, community of people that are interested in, in both defending the, the, the church and helping people to better understand the, the richness of, of the Latter-day Saint experience. To, uh, to be asked to essentially relieve Hugh Nibley of some of the teaching in the class, that had to be pretty daunting. No, no it was just, uh, just simply a matter of there was someone there willing to do it because you know, he was at the time preparing a lot of his, his books. It was very demanding on him physically, and they needed someone. He wanted to teach gospel doctrine, but he didn't want to have to do it every week. So it was just finding someone to switch weeks with him. It was not like they needed some you know, great scholar to, to be up there and, and um, continue his type, of, his type of teaching. He was a fascinating teacher, though. I, I remember one Sunday he got up and started teaching uh, a one-hour lecture, full speed, a high speed, on the Wajit Eye, and he had hundreds of quotes, so he started talking about the Wajit Eye, a facsimile to blah, 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 reading quote after quote after quote after quote. <laughs> it was intense, but two old ladies, two, two sweet women in front of me turned to each other and said, what, what is he talking about? What, what is the Wajit Eye or the Wajit Eye? He never stopped to explain this figure on facsimile two is is what I'm referring to. He assumed everybody in the audience, of course, knew all about this ancient eye symbol from Egypt that means unity and everything else. And he was going into the deep, profound meanings of how it links to the priesthood. It was really interesting. So that was the kind of thing that could happen. And um, I, I learned a lot from him, but I also learned that you can't always just dump the the, the high level information on people and expect it to do any good. This wasn't the gospel essentials class for investigators, was it? <laughs> uh, you know, it could have been, but it, it was it was gospel doctrine. And, okay. And unfortunately, I made plenty of mistakes too as a, as a gospel doctrine teacher, and sometimes getting things that were you know too speculative, and uh, it, it was a there were a lot of painful learning experiences over the years. There there always will be in life. Yep, absolutely. So where can people find your website, uh, Jeff? Yeah, so I've got a couple of different things. I blog at uh, Mormanity. They can go to mormanity.org, but the, really it's mormanity.blogspot.com. My main site is at my name, jefflindsay.com, and there there's an area uh, slash LDSFAQ for frequently asked questions. Or if you Google LDSFAQ, I'm usually in the top few. So I've got, uh, I also blog for the Nauvoo Times at NauvooTimes.com, one of the, one of the team there that, that participating in this really interesting, um, forum that Orson Scott Card has put together with a number of LDS writers. And that's, that's pretty fun. So those are the main areas. Um, JeffLindsay.com, uh, especially slash LDS FAQ and also the mormanity.blogspot.com uh, website. Excellent, excellent. I, I want to share for my listeners maybe just a little personal history. Uh, you don't know me very well, but I, I know you well only because I joined the church in uh, in nineteen uh, late 1990s as a high schooler, a senior in high school. 
And when I joined the church, on my way to taking the discussions and preparing for baptism, I came across Von Brody's No Man Knows My History. And uh, that crushed me. I mean, I was taken to this point where I thought, oh my goodness, everything the missionaries have told me, they've been dishonest with me and, and nobody told me the real story. And so I spent some time doing some research. And of course, at that time, right, mid, late 90s, there's really very little online the computer still makes lots of noise when it signs you on and tells you you've got mail. And so there's not a lot there, but there were two things that I did find that I, to this day, am extremely grateful for. And one was your site. The other, I don't know if you remember this, but there was Book of Mormon Answer Man on the New Jerusalem uh, site. Yep. And so those two sites, yours and his, were a huge resource to me. And I was able, as I plugged through that book, to essentially find the major points of conflict uh, with your side and with the, the Book of Mormon Answer Man and get at least answers to my questions enough to satisfy me that I could move on with faith in the gospel. And so from me to you, I've, I've wanted to have you on for a long time and for the biggest reason is just to say thank oh, you. Thank you. That's that's very kind. You know, that's, that's the experience many people have that we run into these roadblocks or things that really catch us off guard that can be barriers to faith. And sometimes the key to moving on is not having every point and every particle of that barrier you know, obliterated with uh, clear-cut, peer-reviewed scientific arguments, but sometimes it's knowing that there are at least some answers and that it's not the impenetrable barrier that we thought it is, but maybe just a bump that we can step over with uh, you know, a little faith. So many times what people need is just to realize that there are at least some answers out there not every argument has good, clear-cut answers. Not every issue and challenge to faith is something we can you know, blow away and say that's, that's, that's in the past. And there are plenty of things where we are still in a point of you know, uncertainty, there's, there's confusion, there are problems that, that we have to grapple with at different levels. But to know that there are a lot of good answers for some of the questions that are thrown out there, and sometimes things that were points of serious weakness uh, 50, 60 years ago have now become points of strength in, in terms of the, you know, the intellectual arguments for the Book of Mormon or, or whatever. It's good for people to know that there are answers or places to look to get more information that, that maybe the missionaries aren't able to provide because they, you know, they haven't had the exposure or the experience. Just knowing that there's some of that information out there has helped many people get past the uh, what was a, a barrier to progress and, and move forward where and to let faith step in. There's a combination of intellect and faith going on in the in the conversion story for most people, I think. Yeah, and I, and I don't mean this to sound like a negative, but maybe just to kind of expand on that for a moment. It, it feels like sometimes within the church, culturally, we teach things in a very uh, simple way. And, and often if we dig down, so for instance, um, Thomas Marsh, we'll say Thomas Marsh leftover milk strippings. And that, and that sounds really good on the surface when you're, when you're a new member of the church who doesn't, who doesn't dig deeply into Mormonism. But, but like that story, and there's hundreds of them, we often teach things in a simple way. And when we encounter the deeper complex uh, view of Mormonism, those things no longer fit nice and clean. And, uh, and I think sites like yours, what, what they offer, and this is kind of part of the reason for the podcast too that I do, is to help people see that, okay, you're right. We sometimes teach things in a simple way. And in reality, that may not hold up if we dig a little deeper. 
but there's still other ways to think about these issues, even within this complexity that can allow for us to see that while maybe on the surface there's a church leader who teaches a certain view and most members might accept that as doctrine, in reality there might be a difference, uh, difference of opinion between lots of church leaders on that issue and, and allow people the room to say, okay, I don't have to you know, swallow this gigantic pill. There's other ways that I can look at things. That's a great, great way to put it. There are other ways of looking at things and, and so many times, you know, we, we see through a glass darkly or look into a mirror that can be, um, give a poor reflection of, of reality, uh, thinking about the way Paul d- described things. We get such a, we have such a tiny understanding of, of what is there. And as new information comes out, um, we need new ways of looking at things. We have to challenge some of the old assumptions that we make. And it's so easy in the church for things to be taught at a very simple level because our understanding is, at any point, very simple. There's a good chance that many things that we think we know right now about science and matter will will seem ridiculously simple and out of date 20 years from now. And we have to update our, our understanding of the universe, our understanding of how things work. And, and it's the same with, with the gospel. We have some core pieces that we, that we can know are true. The Spirit can help people understand the truth. God lives. Jesus is the Christ. Sins can be forgiven. There has been a restoration of authority. But the details um, that many times we, we think we know and we, we spew out this, this piece of information... Um, the, things are often more complicated, and we have to sometimes dig in and and re-understand what things really mean. I mean, a good example is the creation. You know, for for for, for centuries, Christians assumed that six days, six twenty-four hour days, that's how it was done. Uh, Earth is, you know, now three, four, five thousand years old, and it was done in these six twenty-four hour periods. But as we find out that you know the the geologic record does not really accommodate that and it looks like the earth really is much much older at that point we can realize oh wait a second this hebrew word yom that we translate as day doesn't require it to be a 24-hour day it can be a much longer period it can be a, some unspecified time or era or epoch once we step back and update our assumptions and our interpretation of the text, we can realize oh, we can still you know, generally uh, accept the, the, the creation story if we understand it with you know, the proper you know, filters and assumptions built in and not get too literal in some of our, some of our approaches. Yeah, and you, may, you raise a good point there. I know you've written about this before, but I did an episode a while back about the room that uh, leaders, general authorities within the church have given us to even take lots of the aspects of the creation or even the fall as figurative. And and we often don't think we have that room unless we dig deeper. And so it, it kind of reminds me of something I've stated before, I know others have talked about, which is for those Latter-day Saints who kind of de- uh, dig beyond the, the surface level, problems are encountered conflict or what what they perceive as conflicting information is encountered but what i find happens generally is if one keeps digging one keeps trying to get to the bottom of where the what the source says what are the multitude of opinions on that issue is what is the actual official doctrine of the church often if one continues to dig rather than continue to lose faith there all of a sudden kind of hits this moment where you start to rise back up and there's a place where faith can become a viable option on the table again. 
And I think that parallels the experience of, of many people. When we have these crises of faith, when some issue really bothers us, I think a, a wise approach is, as President Holland has said, cling on to what you have and press forward. Do the best you can with what you've got, focus on what you know, and then be patient and, and keep digging. Uh, my own experience has, has been similar. I had a, a crisis of faith back during the time when I was serving as, as a bishop in Wisconsin um, over some of the Book of Abraham issues. And the the presentation of information by some of the, even some of the professional anti-Mormons and critics that, that go after the church was extremely persuasive. It looked, looked like, wow, slam dunk case. It's something has really, really gone wrong here. And I, I went to the Lord in, in prayer and said, you know, my experience with the Book of Mormon, the things I've learned and, 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 and had with the experience with the Book of Mormon have just convinced me that this really is a, a legitimate book, real scripture. Um, but what went wrong with the book of Abraham? And is this is this a fraud? Did Joseph fall and, and so forth? And I was really, really troubled by that. And I just felt very strongly, just just wait. Don't fall to pieces yet over this and dig in. And so I thought, okay, I will put this on hold and I will study and learn and try to understand this better. I uh, picked up a book by H. Donald Peterson on kind of the history behind the book of Abraham and, and very quickly found out that some of the issues involving <clears throat> the scrolls and, and their, their nature, the number of scrolls and the quantity and so forth, um, directly challenged or, or gave room to cope with, with some of the attacks. And in fact, found, noticed that the attacks, at least in that day, they've, they've become more sophisticated since then, but some of the attacks that the Tanners had, had and others had published uh, at this stage in the 90s just completely obfuscated the fact that there were multiple scrolls and a larger collection of, of records and that what was found in the, uh, Metrop- in the New York Museum, the Metropolitan Museum, um, was certainly a subset of the larger collection of rolls of scrolls that, that, that existed. And there were other documents that were sold to you know, Missouri and ended up in the Chicago Fire and so forth. Well, the slam dunk argument that now we have the records that Joseph Smith had and that we don't have anything to do with, the, with Abraham um, was certainly a, quite a different argument once you realize that there were, yes, definitely other records that are not part of the, of the current collection. I realized that, you know, I, I felt to some degree that the wall had been pulled over my eyes by, by the anti-Mormon arguments, and that made me realize I need to be much more cautious in taking some of the critical arguments against the church at face value and to recognize there may be more to the story and definitely other ways of looking at things. And since then, some of the things that have come out um, in favor of the book of, of Abraham, uh, some of the, the information we have about the, about the text and about um, ancient covenant patterns and so forth, uh, has made the book of Abraham, instead of being the soft spot or the weak underbelly of Mormonism, is really an area that we can celebrate and find a lot of exciting confirmation of authentic ancient character. It's, it, there's a much more vibrant debate now on the book of Abraham than, than there was in the past, and a lot of exciting evidence coming out. And the point is, uh, maintain faith. We're always going to need some degree of faith. There are always going to be arguments that are going to look uh, co- convincing without faith. But if we have faith and press forward, dig in and study, 
we don't have to turn off our brains. We don't have to just rely on faith alone. There are a large number of very uh, intellectually satisfying areas that we can use to supplement our and strengthen our, our testimonies and get a lot of intellectual satisfaction as Latter-day Saints. That's beautiful. I uh, I wanted to ask you the question of why you got into apologetics, and I realize you answered that a little bit at the beginning, but for most people who jump into this area, it it, it becomes something personal first before they do that. And so was it was it this time when you were serving as a bishop, this Book of Abraham issue, or were there were there other things that uh, that were going on at the time that you decided to start the site and jump I, in? I had actually started my site before that particular crisis of faith. The it was about 1993 uh, when I 1994 actually when I joined. Um, I had just come to Wisconsin. I just joined Kimberly Clark uh, Corporation in R and D, and was introduced to the the internet then, and it was I. I began to realize that the internet is going is going to be the way of the future with the vast amounts of information that people can share and I was quite excited by that and one of the first things I did was go online and search for information about the church and I th- was trying to find out okay what is what is the church's website like and to my surprise the church didn't have a website at the time and they were working on it but there wasn't a nice lds.org place that people could go to. And in fact, about the only information I could find on the church were a list of uh, problems with Mormonism on the internet. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. Uh, the church doesn't have a website up. And there's this, this, this is the very early days of the internet, of course. And all that's out there is this hostile information. Well, somebody's got to do something about that. So I thought I better put something up. So my, I'll, I will apologize in advance. My website is very amateurish, uh, poor design, um, working on improving it. It's a challenge, but uh, I'm actually in the process of, of making it more WordPress-based as opposed to all the clumsy hand coding that, I, that I've done traditionally. But I started this very amateur web page to at least put some information out there, basics of the church. Uh, here are basic things we believe. Here's some basic issues. And I thought, well, you know, all the stuff I've been reading from Hugh Nibley and others is really interesting. We ought to at least put some references out there so people can know that there are these excellent books and resources. So I felt like there was an absence of information. Somebody had to do something. So, well, why not jump in and, and put a few things out there? And at the same time, I was really interested and I'm very proud of my you know, hometown or the town then that I lived in, Appleton, Wisconsin, and put some information up about Appleton uh, and just a few other areas, right? Personal interests and hobbies. I just said, hey, you know, this is easy. I can create a web page, put information that's important to me and share it. And eventually realized that by having a lot of content, it made it more visible or helpful in, in Google and people were linking back and that was good. So I started it because there was an absence of information, felt a need to, to do something, a need to share. I enjoyed writing. And uh, you know, it's just been you know a few hours a week, but over the years it accumulates. And also realized that uh, having uh, a site that's been there for a while and has different content, different places, can help people in their searching. So even though now there are much better sites than, than mine and much better information in, in many areas, you know, the Maxwell Institute's gotten loads of material and Mormon Interpreter and Fair LDS and so forth, 
even though there's a lot of great information out there now that, where I, I like to send people, and there's still a need to have the different flavor and personality and um, structure that, that, that I've got, just because the more that's out there, the more the higher the chances are that someone will stumble upon it or that they might show up in a particular search. So I keep it there. I'm not going to, I'm not planning on taking it down, and I'm trying to update and, and make it better, but uh, I, I don't have any any intentions of uh, you know being any more significant or or more valuable than the very excellent resources that are out there, especially LDS.org. But it's a it's a way of of capturing some of the searches people do and providing information that they might might be helpful to them at various stages. Yeah, I agree, I, and I love your site and uh, and recognize that. Even the other sites you speak of at times will refer people back to your site for the information you've gotten. So I, I would second that, that I hope your site is up for a long time. I want to ask you two more questions to kind of uh, maybe work towards wrapping up. And, and the first one is, you know, Elder Marlon Jensen made the comment that uh, that we're experiencing within the church right now, and he said he would use the term apostasy, uh, the likes of which we've not seen since Kirtland. And I realize that we're in the internet age and that's part of the issue. Uh, but is there differences between what you were doing 20 years ago when you started uh, your site uh, versus the way in which you have to defend the church today? Yeah, I think so. I think the, the uh, easy availability of information um, and social media especially makes it much easier for people to a to both to get exposed to hostile information, but also be um, almost conditioned to have a a popular mindset that takes these that takes the things of religion and faith in a very um, you know, sarcastic, almost smarmy, flippant way that makes it hard for people to really take Latter Day Saint faith seriously or any kind of faith seriously. And this comes back, cycles around, and influences the the attitudes and assumptions people within the church sometimes take to to hostile issues. So it's very very easy for people to, um, with with kind of the 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 the, the mindset that is uh, so abundant on the internet now, it is very difficult for people to to look at some of the arguments against the church and take the faithful approach that, well, maybe there's another way of looking at this. Maybe this is not all the information. It's just so easy to take the kind of the negative, um, almost mob mentality or herd mentality that, well, of course, um, these old guys running the church in, in Salt Lake, of course, they're a, a bunch of old, you know, insert whatever negative adjectives you want. So there's there's a greater cynicism that is in, inspired, I think, by the uh, almost the herd mentality of, of social media. Social media is a great tool; it can convey uh, lots of information, but it also it also makes the, inf- the peer pressure much stronger and I think more effective than 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 in the past. And so you can have all sorts of websites, um, all sorts of uh, influencers kind of joining in on the same wavelength of of skepticism and hostility, uh, especially on uh, social issues that can be painted in a very emotional way. And, and the result is we have people being much more influenced by 
being very heavily influenced by emotion that's coming from peer influence and the the way things are painted and and colored in the marketing uh, techniques of the of the adversary and and of media they're being very influenced by strong emotional inf- um, uh, input while thinking that it is purely objective and rational and not understanding the emotional um, hooks that have been set in them, pulling them one way or the other. And this is a real challenge, that we have a large number of people that feel like they're on the kind of the cutting edge of being intellectual and objective and, and, and honest, and not fully understanding how much emotion is playing in, the, in their thinking and how much the marketing of others is guiding and shaping the argument. And so this becomes a, this becomes a real challenge. We have this combination of an abundance of information that appears to be objective and intellectual and factual and very powerful social peer influencing tools that shape things emotionally, shape the assumptions that are, that are used when people approach these things. And that makes the battle quite, quite different. It's not just responding to you know, the arguments like, well, how could Joseph Smith carry the gold plates from the Kilcomora because that much gold would have weighed 200 pounds? How could he have possibly done that? It's not just somebody coming back and saying, well, look, you know, here's the metal, here's the alloy, da, 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 and it was probably really 50 or 60 pounds, and that's entirely doable. The arguments now are much more shaped by emotion and the sense of, oh, it's a big corporation, this is a cover-up, these are white men, uh, this, this is uh, unjust uh, homophobia, all, the, all these issues that can become very emotional that now shape the argument. And so we have to engage people in a, in a broader sense. We can't just throw out the intellectual arguments and the, you know, the list of responses. We have to also recognize there is a very significant um, emotional issue as well and help people not only understand with their minds these issues but feel with their hearts the the reality and the the the, the compassion and the, and, and the love and the joy that latter-day saint experience brings and this gets back to basic testimony testimony in latter-day saint in our in our in our church in our gospel is not just the, the warm violin music playing and the soft, fuzzy feeling in the heart. The scriptures are really clear that the Lord will reveal to us in our heart and our mind, as it says in Doctrine and Covenants 8, and that we have to study things out in our mind. And there's this combination of knowledge and, and spirit working together in our, in our testimonies. We have to also use that in our response to the anti-testimony material that is out there. Help people know, not just with their minds, but also with their hearts, that there is something more. There's another way of looking at things. And there are, in fact, rich, positive, very fulfilling aspects to the Latter-day Saint faith that we can't convey just with uh, you know, static, stale responses that are purely intellectual alone. We've got to help them feel the spirit, feel the joy, feel the love that is part of the gospel. And that is the real, the real challenge. I, I love that, especially that whole idea, which is that the critics are using emotion to take us away. And so certainly the solution from the faithful has to involve an emotional component as well. I, I like that. I, uh, I wanted to ask you, I know on your site you spend some time with uh, uh, Chiasmus um, and 
and and I find that to be an evidence of the gospel. And, and this is the only issue I want to talk about, and then we'll we'll give you kind of a wrap up question. So I know that the uh, the critics, when they talk about this proposed evidence of the gospel, they'll talk about how easy this is to do. That if one were to open a book of nursery rhymes, one would find it. And I, for some reason, I don't find their argument to be compelling because of the extent at which this poetic form is used throughout the scriptures and especially in the Book of Mormon. Um, your thoughts on, on Chiasmus and what the critics have kind of, I guess, tried to, to move the ball uh, by trying to tackle that uh, that proposed evidence and, and kind of diminish it. You know, and most, most of the efforts the critics make to attack issues in Latter-day Saint faith serve useful purpose. And I, I want to point out that, th- that these discussions are, are important and it's valuable to look at things and understand strengths and weaknesses of positions uh, of our positions and they have made some uh, valid points here that help us better appreciate and understand chiasmus and hebraic literature and and its role and influence yes you can get chiasmus accidentally you can sometimes when you have uh, a dense series of terms in in a in a few paragraphs find um actually some fairly nice uh, examples of chiasmus and this is this is important to understand that it can happen. It does occur in text occasionally, and if you search enough, go through enough books, you're going to find a few gems here and there. there the issue of how to tell a uh, actual Semitic text from from a random text is a complicated issue, and there are quite a few factors in addition to chiasmus that we could talk about and, and consider. But on in terms of chiasmus alone, the I would argue that. The, the density of chiasmus and the sophistication, the evidence of this was sculpted, this was done as to create art. It's, it's related to the issue in, in the arts of when is something a sculpture or a work of art and when is this a piece of accidental uh, graffiti or, or rust or a few rocks fell on top of each other. Sometimes in modern art, honestly for me, it's hard to tell when something is is an accident and when it is art. But there are times when you look at at a painting or a sculpture and you realize, and we were just in Italy a couple of months ago, and the just overwhelming sense of artistic depth that you can find in, in say, the Uffizi Museum in, in Florence. Uh, just the, these majestic sculptures or standing before Michelangelo's uh, works, you realize this is no accident. This was sculpted. This was done by by a master's hand. There are examples in the Book of Mormon where you realize that this chiasmus fits so perfectly with the overall message that's being that, that is being pursued here. That the structure is deliberate. It's intentional. This is not just five or six random words. That there is art. Art. There, and so it's it is somewhat. You can always argue whether this is art or accident is is a subjective issue. But when you're standing before, um, you know, one of the the marble statues of Michelangelo, you realize this was a master's hand. And I think it's the same way. I think Alma thirty six. I think other passages in the Book of Mormon convey that. And when you find things like uh, you know a Hebrew Hebrew word plays, subtle Hebrew word plays, suddenly opening up new avenues of meaning in, in a passage, then that also gets really exciting. The Book of Mormon is so loaded with Hebra- with Hebraisms and uh, and uh, structures that were just not understood in Joseph Smith's day. At least, certainly not widely, almost certainly not by him. 
and to find them now, even even today, in the last couple of years, new ones are coming out that add whole new layers of understanding to certain parts of the Book of Mormon that just suggest this really is an ancient Semitic work. Chiasmus is an important part of that, but it's it's maybe not even the most impressive. There are many aspects that point to the Book of Mormon as this is a legitimate ancient text. We need to take it seriously. Yeah, I appreciate that. Nelma 36 is the one that I always was drawn to as I as I was reading about uh, some of those proposed evidences of the church and and I look at that from the beginning of the chapter to the end of the chapter and it just you know I'm just sharing my two cents but the the statistical likelihood of that being an accident just seems so so improbable uh that I don't for me anyway have any other choice than to see that as a as an intended uh implementation in the text. So so thank you for that. I want to wrap up just asking you one last question, which is uh, your thoughts of of what's going on right now with the number of Latter-day Saints who are struggling and what maybe the average member can do to be of help and what maybe we are doing as a church that is helpful, but maybe where we can improve at. Right. This is a really important topic, and, and thank you for asking this. I feel it's really important to understand that people that are having crises of faith are good people, they're our brothers and sisters, and they need our our support and understanding. It is far too easy for Latter-day Saints who maybe aren't familiar with, with some of the issues and some of the challenges that are out there, it's far too easy to blow them off and to say, oh, you know, pray about it, you'll be fine, just have, you know, just have faith, everything will work out. You know, that's okay for some people. Um, a friend of mine in Shanghai uh, who went through a, a crisis of faith, a really good man, um, told me that, you know, not everybody is the same. A lot of people need to understand, need to have that intellectual confirmation for them to move on. And when they run into serious challenges that, that undermine their faith or suggest that, oh, my goodness, what the missionary said was, was all wrong – it is not enough to just say, you know, pray about it and you'll, you'll be fine. They need to have someone to talk to. They need to have someone that understands what they're going through. They need to know there are places to find answers. They need to be given hope that there is, in fact, um, a reality to the gospel of Jesus Christ that they can, that they can cling on to. So when those crises happen... Uh, take these people seriously. Give them give them support. And if you don't have answers, and many people don't, many people don't care enough to even find the answers. If you don't have answers, at least understand there are answers. For many of the issues, there are good answers. For other issues, there are at least reasonable responses. And give them hope and help them find them. Um, that may mean putting them in touch with someone who's familiar with the issues. That may mean helping them to go to websites, you know, my website or, or Mormon Interpreter, Maxwell Institute, Fair LDS, Fair Mormon, Shields, a number of good sites out there, but helping them to find the information that they need and also to listen to them, to just be there to talk through the issues with them or to find someone that can. Uh, we're not going to necessarily have you know, slam dunk arguments in response, but we can have people that can say, yes, I went through this. I had this struggle. Here's how I dealt with it. Here's what I concluded. Here's the different way I found to look at it. They need to know they're, they're not alone 
and that their issues and their challenges are are legitimate. Those are fair questions. They're, they are, at least from their perspective, they are important enough to cause them pain. They're important enough then for us to take them seriously and let's let's treat them with the love and respect they need. At the same time, there are some people, no matter what we say, no matter how good the responses are that we come up with, they may, because of their crisis of faith and the way they're approaching things, choose to to go a different direction and perhaps even leave the church. When that happens, continue to love those people. Understand that they don't have a social disease because they now see things differently. All the things we liked and enjoyed about them and their company and their presence before don't suddenly change because they are, are no longer members. We may choose to not get in you know, debates and talk about the religious issues very much now that we have maybe you know, strong differences that, they, that, that are off topic for discussion perhaps, but continue to socialize and love and make them part of our lives and uh, recognize their value and that their value as human beings does not drop to zero because they are, uh, at least for the moment, not members of, of the same church. And taking them seriously, cutting them a break, uh, recognizing that they, that they are not uh, evil people or people to be shunned or avoided just because they are having a, a crisis of faith that's taking them out of the church. Let's continue to be... You know, to be friends and and to 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 socialize and love and respect them and and take them and their 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 concerns as legitimate ones. We may we may see them differently. Hopefully, we see them differently in ways that uh, allow us to continue with our faith. But uh, give them a break, cut them some slack, and be kind and loving to them wherever they go. Yeah, and and as you're saying that, you reminded me of an experience I I had this uh, this past Sunday that I was talking to a sister missionary who was having some some deep questions. She was thinking about things in a way that most people at that age are not, and and as she's asking the questions, I made this point to her, which I think is valuable to the listeners of this podcast who are having a hard time. And and you you mentioned this, which is I'm not naive enough to think that on every critical question. I have the strongest position as I give my response. I realize that some of the responses we give to the difficult questions may in turn be the weaker position. But but there's an important point to make, which is if one decides to fall on the other side of that fence to choose to disbelieve and, and lose faith and leave the church, one is also from that perspective also going to have to choose on some of those issues the weaker argument. And I think once one understands that it's not clear cut that no matter which direction you go, you're going to have to choose to allow the other side to have the strength in some of those issues. Then all of a sudden faith is a viable option back on the table again. And people can say, you know, I've weighed the evidence on some issues. The church has a stronger position on other issues. The church does not. And I'm going to choose by faith, the substance of things hoped for the evidence of which not seen to move forward and press forward in the gospel uh, so I appreciate you making mention of that because it reminded me of that experience. And I think that's an important point for listeners that you touched on. Yep. yep. So I want to wrap up, Jeff, if you would mind, wouldn't mind, uh, uh, pointing people just one more time to where they can find your Mormonity, uh, Mormonity blog as well as uh, the Jeff Lindsay site. Sure. Mormonity.blogspot.com. And usually if you just Google Mormonity, it will, it'll bring it, bring it up. And then JeffLindsay.com. And there's a big LDS section there, such as uh, jefflindsay.com slash LDSFAQ. 
you can do it all uppercase or lowercase for the LDS FAQ. It'll get you there either way. Um, and then I also write for the Navu Times, NavuTimes.com, which is a really interesting project for Morrison Scott Card. Awesome. Jeff, I appreciate you being on. For those who have not visited Jeff Lindsay's uh, blog and website, they are just full of information on many of these issues that the critics like to raise. Uh, and I really appreciate all the work you've put into that site, Jeff, over the years. And and speaking for myself, I know you've been a blessing to me, but I, I can only imagine the countless others who have been able to continue to lead with faith because of you. So thank you so well, much. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you, and I really appreciate what, what you're doing and your wonderful example, and, and good luck with your, with your ongoing work. Thank you. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of god he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood That day when freed from sinning I shall see thy lovely face Clothed then in blood-washed linen How I'll sing thy sovereign grace Come my Lord, no longer tarry Take my ransom soul away Send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless day. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above Here's my heart, 
Oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above.